0: to another episode of You Are Loved. I am your host, Salida, and I want you guys to take time out to check us out on our Facebook page, which is You Can't Clip My Wings, and also our website at YouCan'tClipMyWings.com. Thank you again for listening to You Are Loved, and do remember, you are truly loved. good morning good morning good morning how How is everyone going doing today uh i can't even talk again welcome us to welcome you to another you are loved um episode we in season six now episode three i think that's where we're at now um welcome welcome to the show welcome to the podcast you guys are going to continue talking about all this good, good, good information about nonprofit tax exempt status. If you want to get this information, definitely go to IRS.gov. Go under charities and nonprofits. Go up under where it says uh, tax exempt, applying for tax exempt status. Once you um, press that, then go down on the sidebar where it says educational sections, and then you'll come to. Um, virtual workshop. When you come to the virtual workshop, you open it up, and boom you're right there, okay? So, we're going to go ahead and continue. We started yesterday. Um, we ended off on, we talked about five, one, three, c We actually did a progress check. We talked about all the things you need, and now we're talking about the benefits and the responsibilities, okay? So, we're going to go ahead and get started on that.
1: I take, before applying, before you can be sure that 501c3 status is right for you, you'll need to understand some of the benefits and responsibilities that come with tax exemption, the steps required to become tax exempt, and the rules your organization must follow after you apply. As your animal rescue grows, your exempt status responsibilities will grow too. First things first, you'll need to learn about 501c3 status so you can make an informed decision and then apply. Next, we'll do an exercise together to separate the benefits from the responsibilities of 501 status. Select the Activities button to try it out. So why don't you try to guess what the benefits of 501 tax-exempt status are? Look through the list and select all the options that seem like benefits. Then select the Submit button to check your answers.
0: Okay. You have number one, I think we went over this yesterday, but we're going to do it again. Number one is record keeping. Number two is annual filings. Number three is reduced postal rates. Number four is exemption from federal tax, um, from income tax, federal income tax. And number five is tax deduction contributions. So we're going to fit annual file. We're going to do reduced, um, reduced postal rates, which is number three exempt from federal income tax is number four and tax deductible um, contributions is number five those are the ones that i picked so let's see if that's correct yes it says all those options are benefits of having section 501 status now okay so that one was correct
2: there are a lot of financial benefits
1: That's right. In addition to being exempt from federal income tax, contributions to organizations exempt under Section 501 are tax deductible, you may be exempt from paying state income, sales, and employment taxes, you have access to reduced postal rates, you are exempt from paying federal unemployment tax, and you can receive tax-exempt financing. With all these great benefits,
2: I bet there are responsibilities as
1: well. Of course. We'll go over them. Select the Responsibilities button to find out more.
2: So what are the responsibilities for a tax-exempt organization?
1: Your most important ongoing responsibility is to keep your organization's activities focused on accomplishing the exempt purpose you were approved for. You'll also need to make sure your organization's records are in good order, that it meets annual IRS filing requirements, and it complies with public disclosure rules. I'll give you a brief overview of these last three. Select the Continue button to learn more about record keeping. Okay, Legal,
2: you mentioned record keeping. Do I have to keep a lot more records than I normally would? You
1: should keep detailed records, including records you'd probably want to keep for any business. For example, you're required to keep books and records detailing all activities, both financial and non-financial. Publication forty two twenty one pc Compliance Guide for 501C3 Public Charities has information on why you need to keep records, what records you should keep, and how long to keep your records. Select the Continue button to learn more about annual filings. Most public charities recognized as tax-exempt under Section 501C3 of the Code are required to file an annual information return, either the Form 990, Form 990EZ, or the Form 990-N. Good records make it easier to complete your required annual filings. Certain categories of organizations are not required to file, including churches and certain church-related organizations. Select the Continue button to learn more about public inspection requirements. Who else do I have to
2: show these records to? And do I have to make all of my records public?
1: You're required to make public certain documents that you file with the IRS but not all of your records. You must make the following documents available upon request. The organization's annual return for its three most recent years after the due date, including any extensions. This includes Form 990, 990 990-EZ, 990-PF, and Form 990-T. All Form 990 schedules except Schedule B, their attachments and supporting documents, your approved application for exemption and all supporting documents, and the determination letter from the IRS showing that your organization has been granted tax-exempt status. There are additional rules about what must be disclosed, how to provide documentation, and consequences for non-compliance. All of that's covered in the required disclosures course on stay exempt. Let's test your knowledge again. Which of the following is not a responsibility of a public charity? Select the appropriate answer, then select the submit button to check your answer.
0: So the choices are A, filing annual returns, B, keeping records, C, allowing public inspection of certain IRS filings, and D, provide free public spaces. I'm going to say D is not a requirement. So let's say. Correct. A Section 501c3 organization is not responsible for providing free meeting place. A tax-exempt organization is responsible for keeping good records, filing annual returns, and allowing the public access to certain IRS filings. Okay.
1: Great job. You've learned about the benefits and responsibilities associated with 501c3 status. Next, we'll talk more with Richard about why this status might be right for him and what he'll need to do to apply for it. Select the Continue button to move forward. So Richard, now that you know what it means to have a 501c3 organization and how to maintain it, do you think you're ready to apply? Yes,
2: I can definitely see how this would benefit my organization. What do I need? Do you have an EIN? No, I don't. But I remember you saying I need it whether or not I have employees. How do I get one?
1: There are a number of ways you can apply for an EIN. The fastest is to go to the IRS website and get an EIN you can use immediately. You can also fax your form SS4, Application for Employer Identification Number, and you'll receive your EIN within four business days. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way by completing Form SS-4 and mailing it to the IRS. Next, you'll need to gather your organizing documents. Select the Organizing Documents button to learn more. All right, I know how to get my EIN. What else do I need? An organization can't qualify for exempt status without an organizing document. That means your application will be rejected without it. For a corporation, which is an organization granted corporate status by a state agency, its organizing document will be its articles of incorporation. For all others, or unincorporated organizations, the organizing document might be called a charter, constitution, or articles of association. To qualify for exemption under Section 501 the organizing document must contain three provisions, including some specific language, First, the organizing document must have a clause that limits the organization's purposes to one or more of the exempt purposes listed in Code Section 501c3. Here's an example of the wording of this clause. Next, the organizing document must not give the organization the ability or permission to engage in activities that don't advance those exempt purposes Finally, the organizing documents must include a Dissolution Clause, which states that the assets of the organization, such as the organization's money and property, are permanently dedicated to an exempt purpose described under Code Section 501 Here's an example of the wording of the Dissolution Clause. There's more information about these clauses in Publication 557. You can find more information, including sample documents, at the Charities and Nonprofits section of IRS.gov. When you're ready to continue, select the Continue button. Okay, give me a second. So, Richard, now that you know what it means to have a 501
0: I wanted to go over what it said on the I'm going to stop right there okay I wanted I want to go over what it says as far as the um, organization where it says what is your purpose of your the limit the organization purpose on one or more exempt purposes but you wanted to have the empowered organization engage activities that furtherance the exempt status But you want to talk about your articles of organization or articles of incorporation. Um, The following is an example of an acceptable purpose clause. The organization is organized exclusively for charitable, religious, educational, and scientific purposes under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or corresponding section of any further federal tax code. Okay, that's what I wanted to read to you on that one. And then... Uh, let's talk about the dissolution cause. It says, Upon the dissolution of this organization's assets shall be distributed for one for one or more exempt purposes within the meaning of Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or corresponding section of any further federal tax code or shall be distributed to the federal government or to a state or local government for a public purpose. So if you decide to dis- dissolution your nonprofit. All the things that are pertaining or connected to it, you either have to give it away to another charity organization or you give it to the city or your local government. I mean, city or any. I would give mine, or if that was to happen, I would give mine to another organization that can use it and have that actually written and um, talked about where you gave it and all that at the end. So that would be, that would work for that one. Okay.
1: The organizing documents must include a dissolution clause which states that the assets of the organization, such as the organization's money and property, are permanently dedicated to an exempt purpose described under Code Section 501c3. Here's an example of the wording of the dissolution clause. There's more information about these clauses in Publication 557. You can find more information, including sample documents, at the Charities and Nonprofits section of IRS.gov. When you're ready to continue, select the Continue button. I've heard an exempt organization should have bylaws.
2: Are bylaws different from the organizing documents?
1: Yes, Richard, bylaws are an organization's internal operating rules. Federal tax law doesn't require specific language in the bylaws, However, state law may require you to have bylaws, so it's a good idea to contact your state to find out the specific requirements. My organization is in California. Do you know who I should contact there? In the Life Cycle of a Public Charity area of the IRS Charities and Nonprofits page, there's a page about the bylaws, and you'll find links to the websites of the appropriate state officials. Let's test your knowledge. Select the answers that are appropriate for this question. Which of the following are requirements for the organizational documents of charities applying for tax exempt status? When you're done, select the submit button to check your answer.
0: Okay, A is limits the organization purpose to an exempt purpose. B is bars employees from participating in activities that do not further the organization's exempt purpose. C, must not expressly empower the organization to engage in activities that are not in furtherance of its exempt purposes. D, defines the hours of operation and location of organization. And E, permanently dedicates assets of the organization to an exempt purpose. Yes. So, I will say I'm going to start with E is one. Um, uh, A is one. And... Um. Okay, and I'll say C. I'm going to say A, C, and E. A is limits the organization purposes to an exempt purpose. Um, C, must not expressly empower the organization to engage in activities that are not in furtherance of its exempt purpose. And E permanently dedicates the assets of the organization to an exempt purpose. So I'm not for sure about B, but I'm going to take these and see F, uh, because B says bars employees from participating in activities that do not further the organization exempt status. Now, let's I'm going to add B to that one too, and we'll see. The only one that didn't get chosen was D, which is defined the hours or operation location of the organization. So let's see if I did that correctly. Ah, I did wrong. So it says, The Section 513 must have organizing limits. The organization purpose to one or more of the exempt purposes set forth in Section 513C, which I got that one, must not expressly empower the organization to engage in activities that are not in furtherance of its purpose, which is number... Uh, which was C, and permanently dedicate assets um, of organization to an exempt purpose described under 513C. So the one I shouldn't have put on there was B. I've added B at the last minute in my mind. So I should have stayed with the first one. But so we got that done.
1: Great job. Now you understand the basics of 501C3 eligibility. Next, we'll help Richard learn how to determine if his organization is a private foundation or public charity. Select the Continue button to move forward. You mentioned that an organization must have one or
2: more specific purposes to qualify as tax exempt under Section 501c3. What are those purposes again?
1: A 501c3 organization is organized and operated exclusively for purposes that are religious, charitable, scientific, testing for public safety, literary or educational, designed to foster national or international amateur sports competition, or for the prevention of cruelty to children or animals. There are many kinds of organizations that operate for these purposes. For example, organizations that provide relief of the poor, distressed, or underprivileged, those that lessen neighborhood tensions, or those that defend human and civil rights, usually qualify as charitable organizations. Educational organizations can be schools, museums, symphony orchestras, training for the unemployed, dance classes, and zoos. If your organization doesn't operate for one of these exempt purposes, perhaps it meets another 501c3 category, like 501c4 for civic leagues, 501c19 for veterans organizations, or even 501c7 for social clubs. Use this IRS resource button for more information on these other types of exempt organizations or download publication 557, tax exempt.
2: So, because I'm planning to start an organization that prevents cruelty to animals, a listed 501c3 purpose you just covered, do I need to do anything else to establish that it would qualify as a 501c3?
1: Yes, you need to show how your organization will meet the organizational and operational tests. But we'll focus specifically on how a prospective 501 organization does it. First, let's talk about the organizational test. This test is used to determine if the organization is properly organized. To pass this test, the organization must limit its purposes to one or more of the exempt purposes listed in Code Section 501 not permit the organization to engage in a non-exempt activity, and ensure that assets of the organization are permanently dedicated to an exempt purpose. This sounds really familiar. That's because these are provisions you need to have in the organizing document we just talked about. So, if you write your organizing document correctly, this test will be easy to pass. Now, let's talk about the operational test.
2: Okay, so the organizational test was pretty easy. What about the operational test?
1: Well, the operational test covers how your organization is actually operated. To pass the operational test, your organization must show that its principal activities will be to further its exempt purposes. Your organization also has to limit the participation in certain types of activities and absolutely refrain from others. The IRS assesses the activities you describe in your Form 1023 application to make sure they qualify. This test is conducted when you're first applying for tax-exempt status. But, if your activities get out of balance after you receive your status, or if your organization engages in prohibited activities once you're up and running, you could lose your tax-exempt status and be subject to both taxes and penalties. What are the Restricted and Prohibited Activities? If you're interested in learning more about these kinds of activities, you should start with the Maintaining Tax-Exempt Status course, which discusses how you could possibly jeopardize your tax-exempt status. There's also the Unrelated Business Income course, the Political Campaigns and Public Charities course, the Required Disclosures course, and the Employment Issues course. Now let's talk about the differences between a public charity and a private foundation.
0: Okay, definitely... We're probably gonna go over the rest of that to those different courses that he was just talking about because I think we need to get the full picture of what's, what um, nonprofit five hundred 5013C is about. And I think I wanna definitely go over those prohibited, um, and, uh, those prohibited um, activities. Excuse me, so we're gonna go full in depth because I finished the whole thing, so we should be able to do that.
2: So once I passed both tests, can I be recognized as a tax-exempted charity?
1: Not quite yet. When an entity qualifies as a 501c3 organization, the IRS presumes it's a private foundation unless it can show that it's a public charity. So, what's the difference between a
2: public charity and a private foundation?
1: The main difference is where the organization's financial support comes from. Generally, a public charity has a broad base of support while a private foundation has very limited sources of support. There are also different tax rules. So, for example, private foundations are subject to excise taxes that aren't imposed on public charities. There are more differences, and you can look into those on the irs.gov website under Life Cycle of a Public Charity Private Foundation. There's also a course on foundation classification called The Wonderful World of Foundation Classification. For now, we'll concentrate on public charities. Some organizations automatically qualify as public charities based on the code, so they're called statutory public charities. Some examples are churches, schools, and organizations providing medical or hospital care, including medical education and research. These organizations still have to pass the operational and organizational tests. Or, if your organization receives significant public support, or if it provides support to other public charities, you may qualify that way. Otherwise, you'll have to demonstrate you are a public charity by other means. To learn more, select the Continue button.
2: My friend Chloe is starting an organization that could be considered a private foundation. How can she show the IRS that her organization is actually a public charity?
1: If Chloe's organization is not a statutory public charity, it may still be a public charity if it passes the organizational and operational tests and shows that it receives broad public support. To have broad public support, her organization must be able to demonstrate the following. That it receives a substantial part of its support in the form of contributions from publicly supported organizations, governmental units, and or the general public. Or that it normally receives no more than one-third of its support from gross investment income and unrelated business income combined, and gets more than one-third of its support from contributions, membership fees, and gross receipts from activities related to its exempt functions. This is another situation where good record-keeping can really help you. Let's talk more about Chloe's situation. Select the Continue button to move forward.
2: Chloe's organization is still really small. I'm not sure if she can show broad public support yet.
1: No problem. If she can show that her organization can reasonably expect to meet these criteria, her organization, if granted 501c3 status, will be treated as a public charity for the first five years regardless of how much public support it actually gets. So what happens on year six? At that point, the IRS starts monitoring the status of all public charities based on the public support reported on Schedule A, public charity status, and public support of your Form 990. Because her organization is not a statutory public charity, she'll have to show that her organization meets one of the public support tests over a five-year computation period, including the current year and the four preceding years. If her organization passes one of the tests, her organization will remain a public charity for that year and the next tax year. Why don't you try a few activities now? Select the Knowledge Check button to test yourself. Wow. Okay. Select the appropriate answer to go in the blank space. When you're done, select the submit button to check your answer.
0: Okay, it says to be recognized as a tax exempt under section 501 c 3 an entity must meet an organization organizational and a blank test, which is a two-part test. Organizational and a is critical, b is operational, c is principal and D is inspirational. I will pick B for operational. Let's see if we got that right. That's correct. The second test for Section 51 c 3 status recognition is the operational test. Okay, so we did that. All
1: right. Appropriate no. answer. Okay. When you're done, select the submit button to check your answer.
0: Section 501C3 organizations have either a public charity or a private foundation destination. An organization may qualify for public charity status by demonstrating that it, it can or does receive broad, blank support. A, financial support. B, technical support. C, moral support. Or D, public support. I'm going to say public support, which is D. Let's see if we got that right. Yes. An organization must be able to show that it can, can or does receive broad public support. Okay. Great
1: job. Now you know how to determine whether your organization is a private foundation or a public charity. Next, we'll help Richard with the basic requirements of applying for tax-exempt status. Select the Continue button to move forward. Now that I understand
2: the benefits of tax-exempt status under Section 501c3, I think I'm ready to start the application process.
1: Congratulations, Richard. Filling out the forms can be a big task, but before you start, there are a few things you should know. First, you need to know which documents are required, the timeline for applying, the user fees for applying, how group and church exemptions work, and some key information for running your organization while you're waiting for tax-exempt status approval. First, let's start with the overview of Form 1023, as that is the bulk of your application. Select the Form 1023 button to continue. What do I need to apply for tax-exempt status? You need two basic things, Form 1023 and your user fee. Form 1023 is the Application for Recognition of Exemption document. So, how much is this going to cost me? Well, the amounts can change from year to year, so click this link for the current fees. The user fee is based on the organization's average annual gross receipts over a four-year period. Gross receipts are the amount an organization receives from all sources before taking out any costs or expenses
2: but my organization hasn't been around for four years.
1: The gross receipts are based on funds your organization plans to receive or funds it has actually received over a four-year period. Is there a deadline for me to file my Form 1023? Good question, Richard. There are time limits. Generally, in order for the tax-exempt status of your organization to be recognized from the day you open, you need to file Form 1023 within 27 months of the end of the first month it was created. This timeline graphic will show you an ideal schedule for a new tax-exempt organization. So how
2: long will it take to get my
1: application approved? The IRS receives many applications for exemption, ranging from very straightforward to extremely complex. Immediately after receiving your application and user fee, we'll send you an acknowledgement notice and deposit the user fee. If we're able to approve your application, or if we need only a minor amount of additional information to complete our review, you'll hear from us again in about 90 days. If the application is very complicated or missing a substantial amount of information, it'll be assigned to an exempt organizations, also known as EO, specialist. This person will work directly with you to get all the information needed to make a proper assessment. So, if you haven't heard from us 90 days after you receive the Acknowledgement Notice, go to Where is my Exempt Application on IRS.gov. If your organization meets the requirements for exemption, the IRS will issue a Determination Letter recognizing your organization's exempt status under Section 501 and also showing your foundation classification. This determination letter is an important document. You should keep it with your organization's permanent records. You'll need it for any public disclosure requests.
0: Okay, it says, Dear Applicant, this is the determination letter. It says, Dear Applicant, we are pleased to inform you that you that upon review of your application for tax-exempt status, we have determined that you are exempt from federal income tax under the 501 of the Internal Revenue Code. Contributions to you are deductible under Section 170 of the Code. You are also qualified to receive tax-deductible bequests, devices, transfers, or gifts under Section 2055-2106 or 2522 of the code. Because this letter could help resolve any questions regarding your exempt status, you should keep it in your permanent records. Organization exempt status under 501C3 code are further classified as either public charities or private foundations. We determine that you're a public charity under the 501, excuse me, under the code sections listed in the heading of this letter. Please see enclosed publication 4221 4221-PC um, compliance guide for the 5013C public charities for some helpful information about your responsibilities in exempt organization. We have sent a copy of this letter to your representative indicated in your power of attorney. Sincerely, the D- Director Exempt Organizations. Okay? So that's what the letter should basically say. And it has an approved stamp on
1: it. So what are group exemptions? Sometimes, the IRS recognizes a group of organizations as tax-exempt if they're affiliated with a central organization. This avoids the need for each organization to apply individually. A group exemption letter has the same effect as an individual exemption letter, but it applies to more than one organization. So, if I work together with a couple of
2: other animal rescues, can we apply as a group? We share the same overall mission but we have slightly different organizational goals. Some focus on rescuing. Others want to build a location for animals that can't return to the wild. Another organization is strictly set up to promote animal rights by lobbying Congress for stricter animal neglect and abuse
1: laws. In principle, yes. You have to have one central organization that all the organizations are affiliated with. Select this link for more information or select the Continue button to move on. Do churches have to apply, too? Another good question. Churches, including synagogues, temples, and mosques, don't have to file for tax exemption, yet they're still exempt from federal income tax, and the contributions they receive are tax-deductible. But, even though they aren't required to file an application, many do in order to receive a determination letter that proves their tax-exempt status and specifies that contributions to them are tax-deductible. So,
2: once I'm running my organization and I've started the application process, is there anything else I need to do?
1: Yes, you can operate as a tax-exempt organization while you're awaiting approval, but donors won't have assurance that contributions to your organization are tax-deductible until your application is approved. While you're waiting for approval, You can learn more about the responsibilities of a 501 organization. Do you remember what those are?
2: Yeah, you mentioned record keeping,
1: annual filings, and public disclosures. That's exactly right. You should take the Maintaining Tax Exempt Status course to review all of the activities you need to be familiar with in order to maintain your status. Let's try a couple more knowledge checks. Let's test your knowledge. Select the most appropriate answer, then select the submit button to check your answer. So, how do you determine the user fee associated with applying for tax-exempt status?
0: A, gross receipts. B, number of employees. C, expenses. D, public charity status. I will choose A, your gross receipts. Correct. Good job. The user fee is based on gross receipts for your organization for the four years. You can use projections for this figure if your organization has not existed for four years at the time of your application.
1: Let's try another activity. Here are the items from the application timeline. Put the items in the proper order then select the Submit button to check your answers.
0: Okay, wow. Let's see. A says, uh, determine letter, determination letter arrives. File your 1023 or your 1023EZ to apply for Section 501 status. IRS approves simple applications. IRS deposit user fee. EO specialist assigned to complex cases. So, number one is... File your excuse me. A would be file your 1023 or your 1023 easy to apply for the the status. Your 501c3. That's number one. I mean A. B is um the deposit user fee. Okay. Um. C is um. Let's see. I'm gonna say C is IRS approved simple applications. Um, oh wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, I got this. Let's see, user fee for that one for B. Hmm, wait a minute. I'm sorry, you guys. User fee for B. Um, C IRS approved simple applications. Um. Uh, let's see. Then determination, the determination letter arrives on five. No, I'm going to put for E, I'm going to put determination letter arrives. That's going to be. So I'm going to say EO, um, specialist assigned to complex further. And then the last one is determined letter it arrives. So A. First step is file the five the um ten twenty three, B IRS deposit user fee, C IRS approved simple applications, E EO specialist is assigned to complex cases for further research, and E is determination letter arrives. So let's see if I did that correctly. Ah, I did! Yay! It says, after you apply for exemption, the IRS deposits your user fee. The IRS can approve most simple applications quickly, but if your application is complex, an EO specialist will be assigned. If your organization is eligible for exemption, you will receive a determination letter. So, yes, got that right on time.
1: Great job. Now you can explain how to apply for tax-exempt status and discuss the rules for running a tax-exempt organization select the continue button to move forward
0: okay let's
1: see. i know i've shared a lot of exempt organization resources with you i've put them together here so feel free to review them
0: okay so these are links to irs resource reference in this course irs Lifecycle page the form 1023 tax exempt application Applying for recognition of the exemption. Where's my exemption application webpage? Publication 420, applying for your 501c3 status. Publication 421-PC compliance guide for 501c public charities. Publication 557, 501c3 status for your organization. Um, State government websites related to exempt organizations. Maintaining 501c3 Tax Exempt Status Course in the Overview of the Form 1023-E Filing. So we covered all of that in the matter of time um, with this course. So let's see.
1: On behalf of everyone in the IRS Exempt Organizations Division, thank you for taking this course. Before you leave, please take a minute to send us your feedback. The information you provide will ensure that this and other courses at Stay Exempt provide a valuable learning experience for future participants. Please use this button to send us an email. After you've sent your feedback, you can print out a certificate of completion as recognition for attending this course.
0: So I have recognition that I completed the first part of this course, which is Tax Exempt Status Overview. So we actually got through all of that and we look at all the information we shared. So we're going to stop here because then we start the next course tomorrow, which is going to be maintaining your 501c3 tax-exempt status. So we'll start that one tomorrow, okay? So I hope we have been able to share some great information with you guys today and I wanna continue doing this and moving forward to getting this information to you guys. I think it's very important because like I said, so much has happened, hurricanes, snowstorms, COVID-19, and this is the time for us to probably think about giving back and how can we give them back? How can we give back? We can normally give back in any way we want to, but how can we do a major impact by not allowing us to I mean, without trying to do a um, 5013C organization that can literally give back on a grander scale. Um, I just want y'all to make sure you be careful because like I said, I'm learning this too. Even though I went through the courses um, prior to this, um, I'm learning too. I'm learning a lot of things that I thought I knew That I don't know. Because you got to keep yourself wide open to learn. And lots of times we don't do that. We don't keep our minds open to learn what's going on, how it's happening, and how can we help or how can they help you. Um, So let's do that more often. So this is the reason why I'm sharing this information. So again, I want to thank you guys for hanging out with us here on You Are Loved. Okay? Um, Hopefully. Um, You guys will come back tomorrow and we can finish this um, and do some more. So, let's go ahead and um, end the show. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Take care. Thank you for listening in to another episode of You Are Loved. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook page at You Can't Clip My Wings. And also check out our website at YouCan'tClipMyWings.com. Thank you again for listening in. And always remember, you are loved.